What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Before you mash that fast forward button to move to the beginning of today's episode, I'd like to quickly tell you about some ways you can support the show and everything that I'm doing right now. You can support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Again, just go on over to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month. Or you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. It's incredibly important with the way iTunes works. So if you have a second, please leave a rating and or review and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, you can listen to the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts, you can check out chasethomaspodcast.com. That is all my previous episode, a link to my newsletter, and all my articles that I've written. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at chase double underscore Thomas. You can like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer, or you can just tell a friend you found this independent sports podcast that they should check out too. Thank you for listening. You're all the best. And I think we've reached the point in this intro where my uncle Darren can play me in. All right, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, on the line right now, Jim Rixner of Pittsburgh. And Jim, I need to know before we get into anything else how much you enjoyed the Pittsburgh Penguins knocking out the Philadelphia Flyers. I take thanks for having me. And yeah, it was it was really an incredible series. They scored, I think, so many goals, and just to beat Philadelphia, a team that beat the Penguins in 2012 by doing kind of the same thing to kind of get that taste out of the mouth was was really satisfying to take down your biggest rival in a very emphatic way. Yeah, I mean, it was it was crazy. And I I mean, I thought I I I think I enjoyed that series more than any other first round series. And I mean, we still have the Bruins and the Maple Leafs going on, but and the Jackets and the Capitals, but that's just more sad to me seeing the Capitals go through this for another season. That's just more frustrating from a uh <laughs> just from an, an NHL observer, but um I don't know, man. Like, I think the Penguins and the Flyers should be required to play in a series every year. I think that's what we've learned from this. It, it sure would be fun. I get intense. And the games, like you mentioned, I thought they were very entertaining. There were a lot of blowout games, but from game to game, you never knew if the Penguins were going to win 5 to nothing or if the Flyers would. And I like that a lot better than some of those West Coast games where it's 1-0, 1-1 for the mess of the game. And you're just watching them skate around and stuff. And Pittsburgh, Philly, you know it's going to be intense. You know goals are going in the net a lot. You just maybe don't know which one on which given night. Yeah. And, I mean, you had everything you could possibly want in a hockey series. You had guys scoring uh, a hat trick on a torn MCL. So uh, the series, I think, had everything. Yeah, it sure did. There's always the drama of guys battling through injuries and, like you mentioned, I was trying to Couturier in the Flyers, and he has to give him a lot of respect for doing that, only missing one game when his own teammate takes him out on accident and a practice and to come back. I think he scored like six points in the last two games on one leg like that, which yeah. was really incredible. And 
Yeah, I think even those rivals, you got to tip your cap and show some respect for that effort. So, what first round series outside of the Penguins that you've been, have you been paying the most attention to? I think for me, probably the Washington and Columbus, just because you know with the brackets that the winner of that mm-hmm. would play the Penguins if they were move on. So, I've been paying a lot of attention to that. And I think that the Boston Toronto one to me has kind of grabbed my attention. I don't know if it's just because it's two of the bigger markets and two of, I guess, the more like hardcore interesting places in Tampa and Toronto, excuse me, in Boston and Toronto. But that one has had my attention too, just to see. I thought they were very evenly matched, and just to see who was going to come out of that to me, I thought was one of the biggest questions that that I wasn't quite sure of heading into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, are you surprised that the Capitals are struggling as much as they are? I mean, they they've battled back, and it looks like they're in they're going to advance. I mean, they're up three two, and we're recording this before next game against the Jackets. But um, are you surprised that it's just another slog playoff start for them? Um, no, not really. Just to be honest with you, like all the games, like there's a stat that like over fifty percent of their playoff games lately have gone to overtime. Like for some reason, that's just how they play. They seems like they're destined to play tight games, close games. They don't pull away from anyone, but they don't get pulled away on themselves a lot. And whether they're playing a team like Columbus or Toronto in the first round last year, they still play really tight games for some reason. And they kind of struggle to, to put distance between themselves and a lower seed like Columbus is to them. So I think it's kind of what I expected. I didn't expect for the first five games necessarily to get overtime, but I did kind of think that Columbus might have a chance since Washington doesn't really put anyone away early or play any four or five game series traditionally. Their fans must love that uh, because it's been great last couple of years for them that they get to experience another team that uh, every game just feels like it's going to go down to the wire. That's got to be good for their psyche, I think. Yeah, I have a lot of good friends in D.C. And, and for them, I know a lot of my buddies don't even get invested in a game until the third period or overtime. They're just so preconditioned to expect overtime now that it's almost like, oh, overtime has started. And now it's time to pay attention because the first 20 or 40 minutes, you know, is going to go one way or swing back the other. And then it's all going to come down to that single shot at the end of the night. It's interesting, though, with their goal, their goalie situation, like how they've handled that and how they're bouncing between that. And Trot has talked about that. But, um, do you, do you think it's a good strategy? I mean, you have Murray now, and they don't really, with Flurry succeeding in uh, Vegas, uh, it's kind of bittersweet, I guess. But um, making the change to Holtby, like, it, that's been a great decision, obviously. But um, it's interesting that they are, that was like a point of concern, or that was just a huge question mark as to what they were going to do with the goalie situation uh, prior to the playoffs. But it looks like Trotz made the right choice with the change. Yeah, I think he did. He kind of was in a no-win situation because the backup for them, Grubauer, over the second half of the season had put up much, much better numbers than Holtby did, even though Holtby in the past had won, has won like Goalie of the Year award and has been their number one guy, but he hasn't gotten them much success. And he was very flat, I think, in February and March, just barely had above 500 record and not keeping the puck out of the net. So they were almost yeah. like had no choice but to start Grubauer. And then the team didn't play well. And I think they made the right choice not to stick with him too long. They went back to Holtby, and he's done really well since he's been back in there. So I guess we'll have to see how it goes from here. Do you think that's going to be like one of those things we look back on of like that change back to Holtby? It's going to like that whole ride the hot goalie situation is going to propel them um, 
I mean, I know that they've got uh, the Penguins. I'm hope I'm sure you're very hopeful that that's not the case. But uh, are you at least somewhat concerned about the hot goalie factor there? Um, we'll see. I, I can't say that I am because Holtby's career numbers against the Penguins are very pedestrian for him. He has some of mm-hmm. those worst numbers against the Pens as you'd expect because they have such a good offense that they have no problems really scoring on him and beating him in a lot of games. So we haven't seen a lot. I think in 2016, Holtby played really, really good in one game and kind of stole it from him. But other than that, in 2016 and 2017, the Penguins have put a lot of pucks by him. So I'm not really worried about him because his defense isn't quite that good and they're going to give up a lot of chances, I feel. So if the Penguin shooters make the most of it, which we see that playoffs they usually do, then they should be in pretty good shape. Are you at all worried about the Penguins' playoff fatigue of just play- so many of these guys um, being veterans and playing in so many career playoff games at this point that um, just so many deep runs in the last couple of years, obviously being very successful is a good thing, but at the same time, um, are you at least somewhat concerned that they're eventually just going to run out of gas at some point this postseason? That's a really good question, and I'm not sure I'm fit to answer it because I'm not out there getting my body banged around and stuff. But, yeah, you're absolutely right because – no team in two years played as many games as the Penguins had for playoff games in 2016 and 17. So they're already in uncharted territory. But um, I don't know, because every time they would lose a game last playoff, people would say, oh, they're running out of gas. Oh, maybe now is when they're running out of gas. So I do expect that probably going forward, that we're going to have to think about that and wonder, you know, every time they might not have such a good effort or anything. But, I mean, as it looks now, the Penguins are built mainly on team speed. And even though they have a couple of star players who are getting older for hockey turns, like around 30, a lot of the core of the team are guys like Jake Gunsell and Brian and Connor Fury and guys like that who are in their mid-20s still. And I think that's really provided a spark and given some young, fresh legs to help them out. So, so far, so good. But, you know, it's still a long way to get to where they want to go. So who knows? Hopefully they'll still have enough stamina to get there. What does it mean for Crosby to become the all-time playoff uh, points leader for the Penguins? Um, it's huge. It means everything. Because if you're someone like me, I'm 34 years old now. So, like, when I was growing up, it was Mario Lemieux and Garmir Yager. And you never thought anyone would, would get close to their franchise numbers from the Penguins just because of how wide open the game was and what they were able to do. So now, like, Really well, he's also benefited, right? Because he's played in so many playoff games at this point, and he's been on really good teams for a long time. But I mean, he's been a home run, but it's just he's going to break the record. It's going to take him a lot longer. So if Lemieux had played in as many playoff games as Crosby had to this point, like it probably would have been untouchable. But right, yeah. I do wonder how, if that matters at all with fans. Do they will they look at him as like the best playoff? Um, performer in franchise history or is it more of just like he's obviously in the top two but Lemieux doing uh, scoring as many points as he did in a significantly uh, less amount of time I wonder if that will always give him the edge right that is the debate and I think ultimately it'll probably come down to Stanley Cup's one and right now it's mm. Crosby three Lemieux two and Crosby can out of fourth this year I mean I think it's hard to not call him the greatest player in Penguins history, especially in the playoffs, as he's able to lead the team back to that. And just as round, he scored 13 points in six games. So you'd have to think he's the front runner for the Consmite again for the third straight time, which no one's ever won at three straight times as playoff MVP. So he's getting in yeah. the, some, you know, some really good territory himself for that. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty interesting. I don't think anybody's going to touch Gretzky, though. I think he's. No, no, much, he's way uh... too far out. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's. Um... 
uh, I think he's pretty much set there. But um, if you had to say, like, I mean, the Penguins are still in. If you had to say uh, it could be still um, in the East or um, one of the teams in the West, like, who are you most concerned um, in terms of a potential matchup problem for the Penguins um, if you were to get matched up with them in a series? Yeah, sure. It could be coming up that they both make it to the third round, and the one team that jumps out to me is the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's the team that took the Penguins seven games two years ago to to beat, and they've added some pieces like defenseman Ryan McDonough. If they get good goaltending, I think Tampa Bay is just as deep, if not deeper, than Pittsburgh at all the positions. So I think that would be like a coin flip of a series and a really good series, and that stands out to me a lot. Okay. Um, So what if... If like if the Bruins though, because I mean they were a popular pick. It's amazing that just because they're kind of struggling now to put away the Maple Leafs, that it seems like a little people are uh, some people are kind of souring on them as just the favorite coming out of the East because that was the talk um, that this was the team that was the hottest in the East going into the playoffs. And I mean the Lightning are obviously awesome, but like the Bruins were the popular trendy pick to go all the way. And um, it seems like some of that's died down a little bit. So are you, you though, are a little bit more concerned about potentially getting matched up with the Lightning over the Bruins? Because I, I don't know. I think it's interesting. The Bruins are stacked. And um, kind of like the Lightning, they're very well built and everything else. But um, I do wonder if people are kind of taking the Bruins for granted now. Yeah, I think that could be, too. I mean, I, I certainly think that the Bruins present a challenge. But I have kind of been sleeping on Boston personally all year. I've never been a real big fan of their coach, but he's been proving me wrong because they have a lot of young, the Boston Bruins have a lot of young forwards now. That kind of reminded me of the Penguins guys who came up a couple years ago and did really well in support roles. And then Boston, of course, their first line with Pasternak and Marshawn and Bergeron, they're just playing an incredible defense. So it's going to be tough to slow them down for three in the series. Um, biggest surprise for you in the NHL playoffs thus far? Thus far, I think you would have to say uh, Las Vegas Golden Knights sweeping the LA Kings. I mean, all Las yeah. Vegas has done all year is just defy expectations. And, and old friend Mark Andre Fleury is out there. He's playing the best hockey of his career. So it's really been incredible. And I don't think anyone would have seen this coming in a million years that they would have so much success in early. And I mean, if you knew this Kings team at all, just like their history of coming back from 3-0, like I wasn't... Uh, certain that they would be able to do it but it did seem like it was a team that was confident that they could come back and rally especially with this weird vegas team <laughs> and that was not the case they uh got swept and that was it yeah it was crazy because i think their goalie johnson quick had like a 944 save percentage and that's mm-hmm. better than this goalie to win a series and he ended up losing it just because it was, it was close and the Golden Knights basically made no mistakes whatsoever at anywhere. And like you said, they didn't even give the Kings a chance really to get back into that series at all, which is really impressive this time of year. The Western Conference seems like it's just, it's a lot more top heavy and just, it's good for the NHL. I think that we're getting these final four here where uh, the Sharks obviously um, are really hot right now and they're going to play Vegas and we'll see how that goes. But then you still have the Predators who ended up um, knocking out the Avalanche and everything. But uh, the Jets got their, uh, the Wilds GM fired. And uh, it's just four really good teams in the West that all seem like if they get into the finals that they're going to be like considered the trendy favorite, it seems like. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think personally whoever wins between the Jets and the Predators I think that's going to be like what the Penguins Capitals series was last year, where 
the winner from that is going to be really propelled to know that they just took down a quality team and they're going to be considered by a lot of people to be the favorites to go all the way, which you can't really argue or deny since they're two of the top teams from the regular season that do this playoff format have to play each other in the second round. Whoever wins that, I think, will be in a really good position to probably be considered the team to beat from here on out. Who do you think Gary Bettman would have in the finals if he could pick himself? Like, if he had a real, if he was dream scenario for Bettman and the NHL, what would it be? Ooh. Um, well, everyone thinks they like the Penguins anyway, so we'll put them in. And mm-hmm. then, I mean, I don't think for ratings wise, I don't know if anyone moves the needle. Maybe a repeat of last year with the Predators, with as good as their crowds were and how fired up everyone yeah. was down there. The Catfish. But, yeah, with the cats and so on. So I think a, a rematch of last year's finals for the NHL, that probably moves the needle as much as anything does for a hockey match. I think mine, my pick would probably be Boston-San Jose. I'd be curious okay. to see what San Jose does if they make it all the way and what the ratings are for the Bay Area. Um, I'd, be, I'd be intrigued. And I feel like if we got a San Jose-Boston finals, it'd be a pretty big win for... Um, the NHL. I don't know if they want Winnipeg or Vegas in. I'll go ahead and right, say yeah, that. I don't know about that. That that would be good. San Jose, Boston, only if Joe Sornan gets to win the cup on Boston ice and skate it around. Yeah. I, I could do you... that, I guess. <laughs> you don't have to admit it. You still want the pins to go all the way, so that's fine. I'm not going to make you <laughs> yeah, go against that. Um, We've already written off the Leafs, I feel like, a little bit, but do you think there is any chance that they come back and win this series? And if they do, uh, what would it take? What do they have to do to really come from behind and win this series? I, I think they're fighting an uphill battle because their defense looks very unsettled and they just can't stop that Boston first line at all. So that that's how they're going to have to get back into it is somehow try to neutralize the Patrice Berger online and keep him off the board. And then um, I always look late in the series, you need your star players to do something. So this is a perfect time for Austin Matthews to put his name on the map and really put his team on his back and lead lead the way. And uh, you got to have your best guys step up this time of year. So I think it's going to take a big effort from him to get them going anywhere. Okay. Who is your playoff MVP thus far? Um, like I said, I would go Sidney Crosby with an okay. apology to Marc-Andre Fleury as, as the second choice. It's <laughs> tough to be much better than him so far. Yeah, I mean, he's a good honorable mention. It's a good story. Vegas is just a really fun, awesome story. And Crosby, just some of, like, I'm still amazed at some of the goals he's able to pull off. And some of just, like, he's just, he's insane. Even at this point, after concussion, is he on concussion 17 or 18 at this point? <laughs> it's, it's a lot, yeah. Does he remember what his name is at this <laughs> point? He remembers how to bat the puck out of midair. And, I think he's doing all right. That was insane. Um, and also, if you've not read about Sidney Crosby's, like, surgical uh procedures done to his mouth and jaw please go do that because it's insane and it's easily forgotten um and i still have nightmares about what crosby's had to do to um get back on the ice it's pretty brutal um is like do you at all like is there is there still like the star power of ovechkin versus crosby i mean because that's probably what we're getting the the second round do you think that's going to be a big thing or because ovechkin's getting older and crosby's getting older that it's just it doesn't hold the same kind of weight that it used to like five or so years ago um it's hard to say it might be easier for you to answer it's kind of a removed perspective i think both capitals and penguins fans you know that's probably played out 
bigger rivalry anyways is probably Malkin against Ovechkin because Malkin doesn't want to be in the shadow. He wants to be considered the best Russian player. And I think they they had tussles back in their day. So I think that's more of a natural storyline anyways. But yeah, I'm sure if, if it happens, it'll be, you know, NBC will make a big deal about it and everything. And they're two of the top players in the league. So it's always somewhat of a story, but, you know, it ends the same way every time. So I, I think that's kind of dulled it to that that people are preconditioned to expect Crosby team's going to come out on top at the end of the day. So that kind of, you know, kills it off a bit too. If the Penguins win like 4-1, do you think Washington blows it up? Does Ovechkin just give up? Does Oshie give up? What what happens if they lose again? <laughs> that's, that's the million-dollar question. It seems to happen every year. Uh, I don't know what they do. I think Barry Trotz's contract's up, so I'm assuming he's going to be moving on down the road. But I don't know if they'll make any big changes because it's not like you're going to get better as a team by trading away your great players. I'm sure teams will just try to take advantage of them and, and pawn them off trash. So it's it's a tough one to do. I think the best best bet for the Caps is try to build up the supporting gas more and try to get better young players and give it a go. But yeah, certainly they keep pushing that rock up the hill every year and every year it just falls and rolls back down on them. All right, last thing. I want to get your expert analysis on all the matchups that we have locked up. So I'm looking at the bracket right now. Predators, Jets, who do you have? Like I said, I think this is a tough one. I did on my official prediction before the playoffs started, I called Jets in seven, so I'll stick with that, but I would not be shocked if they went either way. Okay, so you got Jets, Knights, Sharks. I think this is Uh, where the magic ends for the Knights. You think so? I've been doubting them all year, so just because of that, I'm going to stick with Vegas, and I say they're one and six. It doesn't help that they both ended up sweeping their previous opponent. Um, And the Ducks, I just felt like the Sharks sweeping the Ducks was more impressive, but. We'll see. I um, This is going to be a big test for Flurry with Evander Kane and everybody, so we'll see. Um, but I, the Sharks just feel like the hot team in the West. Like I, They just feel like a finals team to me. I mean, you can see that, too, because like you said, Evander Kane's been really great for them. He's been lighting it up. So, yeah, it wouldn't be shocking, but I've counted the Golden Knights out too much this year, so I'm, I'm done doing it. Okay. Uh, Penguins, Capitals. And I have a hunch as to where you're going to go with this. Pens and six, know it. Okay. And no offense to the Columbus Blue Jackets fans. you I guess you have a chance, um, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and cross you off. Uh, <laughs> um, Bruins, Maple Leaf, or wait, we should do that. Bruins ultimately win the series and move on? Yeah. Yeah, give them two okay. chances. I'd say that one won. Okay. And then you get Lightning Bruins. Like I told you, and I've been counting out Boston too, but I really like what Tampa has going on and I think they're getting better at the right time. So I'll take Tampa in seven. But to your point, I think it could be a very close series. And I wouldn't be shocked if if it goes either way. Like if the first round, I feel like a lot of matchups were pretty clear cut of who the better team was. And now in the second round, we're getting some really great matchups. So I'm going Tampa in seven, but I'm not terribly confident with it. I'm excited for this series. It kind of feels wrong that we're getting this in the second round and not the finals. This feels like a finals matchup. It, yeah, it feels like it could be. So um, I'm sure that just pissed off a lot of Penguins fans. But um, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, either way, I think the second round is going to be a blast, especially in the Western Conference, and we'll see what, how it all goes. Um, we'll need the Capitals and the Bruins to get their act together, and then the second round in the East will be just as entertaining. But, um, yeah, man, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Chase.
No problem. Is there anything we should check out specifically on Pittsburgh.com this week? Uh, we'll have all the coverage. So, yeah, just keep swing by. We'll have all our previous stuff ready to go. You can check us out on Twitter at Pittsburgh as well, and we'll keep you up to date for the Penguins stuff. All right, do that, and I'm sure you'll need to keep up with them for a while because it doesn't look like the Penguins will ever get knocked out. Don't believe that the Penguins are getting knocked out in the uh, NHL playoffs until it actually happens. I think that's the rule of thumb at this point. Yes, it is. (laughs) That's a good way of ending this. All right, Jim, thank you so much. All right, no problem. Thanks. All right, Mark Sessler is on the line right now. He's a writer for NFL.com. He's a co-host of the Fantastic Around the NFL podcast, and he graciously agreed to talk a little football with me tonight. Mark, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing out there in Atlanta? Pretty good, man. Um, it, uh, it's been a busy offseason for you already. You're traveling. You're, um, you're having to deal with all the Brown stuff and never knowing what they're going to do, and then you have... This week, the revelation that Hugh Jackson's not even getting informed as to who the pick is going to be from GM John Dorsey uh, until tomorrow. It's a, it's a busy week. For, it's a busy time for you. Yeah, I mean, the off season they can call it that. There's nothing off about it. And it really isn't until, I think you get post-draft, uh, you know, if you're covering football, that things change a little bit, or at least a lot of questions are answered because free agency is handled and you finally know where these rookies are going to go. And you get a better idea of the complexion of teams and how they've changed. And I think that a lot's going to change in this draft because it's just so quarterback heavy. It's, it's, um, there's no way around it. There's no other position that's going to kind of rock the landscape of the NFL like the quarterback. And th- there's really not been a draft like this uh, in, in ages and ages. You'd have to look at maybe the 2004 draft that had so many pivotal quarterbacks that have made such an impact on the league. Go back to 1983. I mean, 2012 had that potential, but didn't shake out that way. So there's a lot mm-hmm. going on. And yeah, when you look at Cleveland, I mean, I'm not surprised that um, Hugh Jackson is, I think he's been part of the decision-making process. I think they've given him a voice. I mean, it's not to the level of, we don't care what you think, but I think that that, that organization has had leaks for years. I'm not pinning that on Hugh Jackson, except that we know that Hugh Jackson likes to talk to the media. And I think that they've been very careful um, about keeping a tight lip on their plans. And that comes down to sometimes one or two people knowing. I don't think the owner is even supposed to know Jimmy Haslam until tomorrow what John Dorsey plans to do with that number one pick. What if he changes his mind, though, after Wednesday? Like, what if he sleeps, he gets a nice uh, eight hours and he wakes up in the morning. He's like, oh, what am I thinking about Josh Allen? I, I can't do that. And he changes his mind again and has to make all these calls all over again. Why is he making the decision Wednesday? Why not make it right when the clock starts? That's when I want my GM to make the decision. I think the decision for most of these uh, GMs, unless you know you have to kind of wait for the board to flesh out, if you're number one, I think that John Dorsey knew a week ago, if not longer, who he wanted. I, and they can really? say they didn't. I just do. I just do. I think that they, you don't put all this time in without it being almost rock solid on who you want. Now, could something come in and change that? <laughs> yeah, could. I mean, I guess, number one, trade offers could change that. Um, yeah. You know, there's certainly from all that we've heard about Cleveland, and I think a, a, a huge amount of it is smokescreen and white noise, but that there have been a difference um, of opinions inside the building on which quarterback 
Um, but I number one, it is a quarterback. I would mm-hmm. bet my house on that, although I'm renting. Uh, but secondly, <laughs> I, I just think that I, my guess is that it's Sam Darnold. That's just my guess. I, I don't. Okay. Th- I think that all these other names have been boiling up, and I think they're in the conversation. But I, it just goes back to me that I think that I think that it's going to be Sam Darnold. Um, that's not inside information. It's just kind of my gut, and I think they've known for a while. Okay. Um, with all that said, uh, two points. One, I think you're going to have leaks and problems with that stuff when your organization employs like 73 front office personnel. Like if you go back through, this is like, right. um, <laughs> just one of my favorite things is like measuring like how deep the front office is. The Bengals have roughly, I think three people in total in their front office. <laughs> and then you look at the Browns and it really like 73 sounds a little hyperbolic, but if you look at the amount of people in that war room and in that front office it's kind of astounding and um it's it's interesting to wonder how the decision making really goes and how much of it is haslam how much of it is dorsey how much of it is hugh but um i think it's interesting but i will say i think we've got (sighs) why are we doing this with the browns like we've been here before and i get that it's a new (sighs) front office and that dorsey deserves a shot and everything else but he also was kind of um ushered aside in kansas city like it wasn't like they were fighting to keep him there's still a lot of stuff we don't really know what happened there but at the same time it's not like i am if i'm a browns fan i'm loving the idea of john dorsey making all these decisions but um what are the odds if you were a betting man mark and i don't know if you are but if you were what would you put the odds the browns are going to look back or any nfl fans or browns fans whoever are going to look back 10 years from now and say to themselves wow Browns really nailed number one and number four overall. What a draft for them in 2018. What are the odds of that? Well, I think the odds, I mean, you look at the success rate of first round quarterbacks is shockingly low. It, it almost doesn't matter where they're picked in the first round. It's just shockingly low. Is it worse than the second round? Because second, I remember Barnwell did a big piece on that of like the second round quarterbacks and why that's always, generally speaking, a bad idea. Well, I think it falls off with each round. I'd have to go, you know, Mm. do the study myself, but you're not the, the hit rate on getting a quarterback and the, Hey, let's, let's continue to try to find a franchise arm in the third round. No. I mean, you've got to go get them in the first round. I would say number one, and you've got to keep trying till till it hits. And when it does, no one cares about what came before. And yeah. like, you know, <laughs> 10 years from now as a, for so the Browns fans looking back, that's a great question. It's an utter mystery, but what Cleveland needs to find, one of the big issues that if you look at their quarterbacks who they've picked, it's not just that they've been subpar and they have, but it's a complete and utter lack of durability, the position where mm-hmm. you don't survive unless your quarterback makes 15 to 16 starts every year. And outside of, you know, they could have done that last year with the Sean Kaiser. They sat him for a game. He started 15. I mean, he had overt issues, but you'd have to go back to the 2001 season when Tim Couch did it for Cleveland to find a quarterback (laughs) who started from wire to wire. And that's the problem. If you look at their seasons, especially since 2010, they have two, three, four, even five different players starting at quarterback. You've got to go find. And now this is why I think you come back to some of these guys. Why do they fall for a Darnold or a Josh Allen? I mean, I think when it comes to Darnold, it's like, this is a guy who is got the body type and he's been incredibly durable. He takes punishment. He gets back up. That's not happened in Cleveland in a long time. This is a team that passed on 
on Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, they passed on so many guys that fit the mold for a AFC North type Cleveland team that I think that, you know, John Dorsey for better or worse, and he, he's not perfect, but he is trying to find players, I think in his mind that fit the mold for a team that plays half its season in crap weather, you know, in high yeah. winds. And the Browns have hired far too many sort of pop gun arm, five foot 11 type quarterbacks that they try to shove into a starting mold. And they've, they've also hired big body quarterbacks who flat out failed at the position. So it's been, it's been, you know, a cursed landscape at that position for the Browns. And, you know, looking back 10 years, success or not, man, you just have to hope with all the failures, percentages would tell you at one point, they're going to land the right guy. Yeah, I mean, just keep taking the shots. But then again, then you have the Kevin Clark report of like they've considered taking two quarterbacks, which is absolutely I love, insane. I oh, actually, you want it? Actually, I don't think that's insane. Like I, okay. I had a tweet like early in the offseason where I say, I mean, it was kidding, but it was like, get Kirk Cousins, trade for Alex Smith, draft three quarterbacks. I've often thought that they <laughs> should at least trade or at least trade for a veteran like they did with Tyrod uh-huh. Taylor and that you should draft one or two quarterbacks. I wouldn't have a problem... That, you know, at the combine, the rumor was that it's a Darnold, but that the team is considering sneaking back into the first round to also take Lamar Jackson. Now that sounds hmm. crazy, except that back when Troy Aikman was drafted by the Cowboys in the following supplemental draft, Jimmy Johnson took Steve Walsh, and what now that that created a little bit of friction, but ultimately they were able to in-house decide which quarterback they preferred, and it was Aikman, obviously. And then they mm-hmm. traded Steve Walsh for multiple number one picks. That was a long time ago. You're not going to get that, that maybe that King's ransom again. But if you're sitting on a Lamar Jackson and you prefer Sam Darnold, you can trade Lamar Jackson for a lot. It's like it's not a terrible yeah. idea. It's just not. It's like thinking outside the box needs to happen more in the NFL. And that's mm-hmm. why I don't think it would be a fatal idea. I think it would be you're maximizing your chance to succeed at the most important position on any on any type of team in any sport that's fair um i guess more of it has to do with like just thinking um there's a good espn piece um it may have been the browns beat writer for nfl nation but he kind of outlined he did this whole walkthrough because i mean it's not often that a team is drafting number one number four overall and the Redskins, I no. think, did it with LeVar Arrington. And I forgot who the other guy they drafted in that draft. But it, it's just pretty rare. But the returns are not good. <laughs> They're overwhelmingly bad. So the it seems like the better idea is for the Browns to trade back, especially because there are going to be a lot of quarterback needy teams looking to move up. Like if you're the Cardinals or the Bills or whoever, like I'm still trying to do whatever I can to move into that four spot because it doesn't seem like the Giants are going to trade down. Gettleman's pretty adamant about that. I'm still not buying the Saquon Barkley or Chubb stuff at two. That seems pretty silly if you can trade down and get a lot more for a team trying to move up to that two spot. But or just take Darnold because he might be Angelic 2.0 and um, maybe Eli doesn't have three or four more years or whatever. But um, I don't know. I just I, I think that's the key is like to I, I'm really fascinated to see if they if Dorsey trades down. It doesn't seem like he's trying to acquire more picks at this point, but it does seem like the better solution for them is to like even the Broncos or something like trade down a couple spots or something. I, it right. doesn't. It, it the history does not lie with this number one and number four pick situation. So I don't know. That would concern me a little bit. Like, or maybe you get a player who's ready to play now. You can turn number four into 
a better option, kind of like what the Bengals did where they traded uh, back a couple spots in the first round with the Bills and they got Cordy Glenn and they got their left tackle that they've sorely needed because they missed on Fisher and uh, Cedric um, in the last couple of years. So they need off offensive tackle help and they've also need center help and guard help. They need a lot of help on the offensive line. Um, but yeah, I just, I think it's gonna be interesting to see what they do at four more than they are at one because I, I don't see them keeping both picks, but maybe they do and they try and... Uh, uh, go against history a little bit. Yeah, you never know. I mean, you were right about that um, that 2000 draft for the Redskins. They actually picked back-to-back. I believe it was second and third, and it was LeVar Arrington, and they took Chris Samuels. And and those guys, is, yeah. uh, that, that that helped build that team, at least for, for a brief amount of time. It didn't, it, they weren't both total home runs. But, uh, you know, it's. I think the thing you look at this draft, and a lot of people sort of talk about that once you get to a certain place in the first round, and it's not that deep, maybe, you know, by pick 20, even a little earlier that the talent in terms of it being like blue trip, blue chip, you know, first rounders falls off a cliff. So you, you trade down too far and you've lost a chance to find two like premier players, you know, th- speaking of like a team that tr- like the, the 96 Ravens got Jonathan Ogden and Ray Lewis in the first round. And it Incredible. arguably cha- it completely changed that franchise forever. They would not be the team that we think now a lot of that homework was done when Belichick was the coach and Ozzie Newsom was the head personnel guy in Cleveland with the Browns, they essentially were doing work on Ray Lewis before the Ravens picked Ray Lewis, who terrorized the Browns for a decade plus. So it's weird how these things shake out. But Cleveland has the rare chance, and it's Sashi Brown who set the table here. Uh, you know, along with with stuff, a lot of for everything people didn't like about what Sashi Brown did, he obviously succeeded over the course of two seasons in building incredible draft. Uh, you know, flexibility and power. I mean, it's it's really there's no team in eons that have had that have had this kind of leverage. So I don't I don't think that you want to see Cleveland just trade down to the point where they're picking a you know a, a less than powerful um, you know roster changing player. And I think they have that chance at number four. I don't get the feeling that they want Saquon Barkley. Um, yeah. A lot of fans probably don't want to hear that. Uh, it just doesn't seem that way. Who knows? But they just don't need him. They, they have Carlos Hyde. Duke Johnson's still really productive. I don't think they need to invest the uh, at that spot with Barkley. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And Chubb is weird too because I mean the idea is like you could kind of build this amazing pass rush where you can mix and match your pieces. But and Greg Williams obviously is a um, <laughs> an innovative defensive mind with his safeties forty five yards back. But um, I guess I could see the Garrett and Chubb stuff. But maybe you do something like because. Um, Joe Thomas retired unexpectedly and you have a huge spot at left tackle to fill. And this is not a great offensive tackle draft. So maybe you look to see if a team is willing to part with a starting tackle for the number four pick. And yeah, I mean, that's, maybe that's, that's the route you go. That's true. That gives, I mean, you do have that flexibility. I think with Cleveland, I mean, here's the thing when we talk about one thing that really, that irks me when it comes to not only the Browns, but hearing about, Oh, you know, the jets must find a quarterback that fits the system of Jeremy Bates. Look, how long do we know that Jeremy Bates is going to be in New York? And, and, yeah. and how, how concerned are we with which quarterback Todd Haley prefers or Hugh Jackson prefers? It's very possible that neither one of those coaches are with the team. You go and you get the rare player. I'll never forget when Butch Davis worked out Ben Roethlisberger in the pouring rain, and they all said it was an incredible workout. It was so mm-hmm. clear to them that he was the perfect type of quarterback but they had just just signed Jeff Garcia in 
free agency and they were coming off the Tim Couch thing and they thought, well, we don't really need Big Ben because we have player X. And so I go back to Carlos Hyde. It's a nice signing in free agency. But if Saquon Barkley is going to be, you know, a, a running back that changes the league for eight or nine years, I don't really care who's on the roster. That would be my approach. If you find hmm. someone that, that, that is that rare, because you could make the argument that Emmanuel Ogba is an underrated player in Cleveland who is a perfect complement to Miles Garrett. And so you don't yeah. go get Bradley Chubb, except that Bradley Chubb is going to be a Hall of Fame pass rusher, and you can set up a one-two punch that destroys quarterbacks for the next six years. Who cares who's on the roster? That's all I would say. If you find a rare talent, like they, they, have a, they have the chance to find two players that can change the team. And I wouldn't get too cute because the team has gotten too cute in the draft too many times at this point. You can't bypass the quarterback as they've done with Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson. I get why they did it, but you can't do that this time around. And you can't at number four, if you feel like we have a Hall of Fame type talent, worry about who's on your roster in 2018. That's, that would just be my, like my one kind of thing with the way that you draft is if you find someone that rare, add strength to strength and let, it, let these guys, let it all shake out the best way possible. Okay, fair enough. I think we've uh, that's enough. Browns. By the way, no I more have any. I have no decision making power, so not a single person cares what my philosophy <laughs> is on that. So let's start right there. I care, Mark. So that's oh, thank that's you. the most important thing. I I definitely care. Um, Bengals. Can I make the case that they're in for a big turnaround in twenty eighteen? Can I do that real quickly? Sure. All right. Joe Mixon going to be the centerpiece, the problematic centerpiece for their offense next year. Um, they were 11th in offense in 2016. There were people that were really talking themselves into Andy Dalton as a top 10 quarterback a couple years ago. They were pro- like, you could make the case that they were going to be a Super Bowl team if Andy Dalton had not gotten hurt and they did not have to start A.J. McCarron in that infamous Steelers game. The AFC was wide open that year. It seems like they kind of missed their moment and they've kind of fallen off. They were 6-9-1 in 2016. They were 7-9 last year, but... They were a lot better once they moved on from Zampezi to Laser, and Laser was the hot commodity. And you're very familiar with uh, Laser. Yeah. I remember the NFL yeah. podcast with the Miami Dolphins stuff. Like he's just this infamous offensive mind, and now you have him running things. You stole the guy Aaron Rodgers loved as quarterback coach in Green Bay, and Alex Van Pelt. He's now the quarterback coach in Cincinnati. They nailed the. Carl Lawson pick in the fourth round. They do, generally speaking, draft really well. They draft a lot of power five guys. They have a, a fascination for going with guys who are that produce a lot in college. They traded for Cordy Glenn, so they got a new left tackle to help. Um, they and From 2012 to 2015, they won 10, 11, 10, 12 games. Like, we give them a lot of flack for keeping Marvin Lewis, but... I mean, it's it's not terrible. He's not the best, but he's not the worst. And we would be looking at him totally different if they had not gotten um, eliminated because Andy Dalton got hurt the worst possible time a few years ago. And, you know, Dalton to Croft has been great. They haven't had Tyler Eifert, but if you have a healthy Eifert and Croft, um, that's an amazing duo, especially for someone like Dalton who loves going to tight ends. And, I mean, he has a 129 passer rating to Croft pretty good um William Jackson the third their first round pick from a year ago incredible in coverage this past year he bounced back after a bad rookie year which was marred by injuries and you know maybe that's the same thing with John Ross he has a bounce back year um the Bengals have drafted wide receivers pretty well Marvin Jones is pretty good in uh, Detroit AJ Green's obviously great um 
I think there's a real chance that like if they drafted even Darius Geis and they put him in the backfield with um, Joe Mixon and they just load up on skill position players again and because they got pillaged like Whitworth and all their guys, they just got they couldn't afford to keep everybody and teams love taking Bengals players because they draft well. I think the Bengals are going to be a lot better than people think in 2018 and they'd never have really fallen apart and I just I like what they've done so far and I think if they get a couple more offensive linemen in the draft and do a couple more things I think they're gonna have a nice bounce back here I like that you uh that you're cool with them drafting guys to pair with Mixon but god forbid the Browns take a a running back because we've got Carlos Hyde sitting on the roster (laughs) if you're if you're in Cleveland so I saw that I think the Bengals like they sort of have been that team that every year you can make an argument for them uh being a wild card contender because you're you're right about one thing that they've you go back to 2015, they arguably had the best talent base of any team yeah. in the AFC. And, and Andy Dalton, for the first half of that season, before that injury, and you know people love to take their shots at Andy Dalton. He was having an MVP-type year that year. Mm-hmm. Here's what I think could happen. This is the one, we, there's a lot of whispers around this, and now I think this name is getting a little too hot. They'd have to move up for this to happen. But if they ever <laughs> went after Lamar Jackson, I and like I think that... Well, there's, I, they may not have the right staff to deal with him. I'm yeah. not sure if it's the best fit. But I want there to hear Baltimore are, personally, but yes, continue. Well, I, do, I, I think that, that Baltimore also is a candidate to, just like Cincinnati, to maybe surprise people with what they do in the first round, and it yeah. could be quarterback. And I just, I, it's, it's hard to take the Bengals super seriously as a, as a Super Bowl contender, um, but you know, who had the Jacksonville Jaguars going to the AFC Championship last year, except that the Jaguars, obviously on paper, were a favorite in the offseason for the past three years because of their building talent base. And, you know, with Cincinnati, you wonder if the ship sailed a little bit on Andy Dalton uh, or not. Like, it's just, I just think you have to find out. They have, they, I think people thought the offense last year was going to be lightning quick and fun to watch, and they didn't quite get there. And it's going to help a lot to have those players go through another offseason. Uh, the offensive line was an utter disaster, and yeah. they've got to make sure that doesn't happen again. But I would, I would watch out for them and Lamar Jackson. It, he may, they may not be bold enough to move up because they're not an extremely bold team in the draft. But yeah, it's it's out there that Baltimore and Cincy are two teams to watch. Now the problem is there's like four other teams ahead of them that also uh, could, that probably have eyes for Lamar Jackson too. Okay. Fair enough. I just had to do that. I don't know when I'm ever going to be able to talk about the Bengals that much on a podcast. So I, right. I just needed to <laughs> you get that. Take I'm a Bengals truther. So that is, uh, that, that's where I'm at. Um, I want to do some quick things that I want to throw at you and you can tell me if I'm crazy for this. Okay. Okay. Sure. Who has the edge green Bay or Minnesota right now? They have the same odds in the AFC to win the uh, NFC North next year. And I think that's a sneaky, great division rivalry. Like I love what the Packers have done this offseason with Wilkerson and Graham, but the Vikings obviously nailed it with Kirk cousins. Who has the edge for you? Uh, for me, the Vikings it's, it's, okay. a, it's a slight edge only because Aaron Rodgers can change everything. But when they yeah. lost Rodgers, I just wasn't, I felt like the kind of the Packers entire roster was sort of exposed as being, very regular, very average, very mundane, minus their incredibly, you know, starry world, world record type quarterback. Take them out of the mix. They weren't that way. The Vikings, to me, are right now, they've got strength all over the field on offense and defense. I think they're the better mm-hmm. overall team right now, especially with Cousins. Okay. I got the Packers right now, but uh, we'll see. Fair are enough. we sleeping on the Cowboys? 
Bucky Brooks had this great breakdown of why he believes in them and why like they Jerry Jones kind of being really optimistic about this team next year. I think that's fair. If I, I think we kind of started overlooking them a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I don't know about overlooking because they're two years removed from being a dominant, dominant offensive yeah. team. I think a lot went wrong for them last offseason. All the, all the stuff with Ezekiel Elliott um, was <clears throat> in a, a massive distraction for a team that doesn't really deal with distraction very well. And you were looking at sort of the end, the end of, of Des Bryant there. And I think that you, you found out that Dak Prescott minus Ezekiel Elliott struggled in spots. And it's going to help to have uh, Elliott back for 16 games. They, they don't have a pure X receiver right now. Like, you mm-hmm. know, Des Bryant was not an all pro last year. His game was, you know, kind of obviously in decline, but you still have a hole at that position. You're not better because he's not on the roster necessarily. It just is a hole to fill. And I could see them getting into some trouble um, if you can push that team in a third down over and over. I don't love the defense. Um, I, I think they've got some nice elements to it. You've got a couple good pass rushers, but I wouldn't like, I feel like the Cowboys every other year go 12 and four. And no matter yeah. what they do, they'll put them on TV six times. So it's like, <laughs> it's hard to kind of like totally sleep on Dallas because they That's always fair. feel like a team that could just kind of challenge for the division. They're in a, they, are they a better team than the Eagles? Are they better coached? Are they better anything? Like, what are they better at than the Eagles? Search me. Not right now. Well, I think it also helps that the, I think Washington and uh, New York's going to be terrible next year. So getting to play them twice each is going to be nice. Right. It's not four giants in that division right at the moment. And I mean, four, you know, amazing teams, not, not yeah. at this point. Um, which makes the bears uh, optimism very sad. Uh, <laughs> which playoff teams from the past season, each conference are you um, most worried about right now? Give me one playoff team from this past year that you're most worried about not making the playoffs this year. Well, I mean, this is almost easy in the AFC, but the bills to me, I mean, you've got a huge question mark at quarterback. I'm not really not sure it's really fair to call them like a bona fide playoff team from last year, but, but the problem is when you're a coach and you get to the playoffs that early in your career, you, you know, you can't just, you can't have a massive regression. So in Buffalo, it's a concern. Um, I think they've got needs all over the field, but they have, they have a lot of draft picks and if they figure out the quarterback thing, like if, for instance, if Josh Rosen ever fell to the Bills at 12 or they moved up and got Josh Rosen, like a lot changes. You buy it, you have a whole new lease on life when your GM has picked a rookie quarterback with a lot of promise. It could give them some stability. And they inherited, you know, a pretty rugged, holy roster. Like, you know, so, so I think you've got to be patient there. That ownership's made a lot of changes over the years. They've got to sit tight and let it be. But I don't know if you can book him for a playoff appearance this, this year. Not at all. I mean, yeah. in the NFC, I'm trying to think, like, uh, the NFC has been such a similar sort of beast year after year uh, that I, I don't really see any of them as, like, major kind of total fall-off candidates because I think the Rams are, are totally legit. The, the, the Saints are legit. The Vikings are totally legit. The NFC is a powerhouse right now. The Eagles are totally legit. I mean, the Panthers the Falcons and Falcons aren't, man. Yeah, are not. It's the Falcons. But but I but I the thing is if you put the Falcons in the AFC I'd book for the playoffs today so I just I don't see any of those yeah. teams as a hot mess because they all have you know they all have you know solid quarterback play and there's a lot of sort of star players on each of those teams and they're mostly well coached I think the Falcons have a very good coach in Dan Quinn so I think the AFC is going to struggle to keep up with the NFC they don't offer the same slate of teams. Can I oh, last thing and then we'll go. 
I need to reveal my hot take and you can tell me how outrageous this is. Okay. okay. <laughs> sure. I don't think the Jaguars are making the playoffs and I think they're finishing last in the AFC South next year. Hmm. Um, I mean, it's the AFC is such an up and down affair that I guess you could say that division also is constantly sort of up and down as well. And you've got the Texans yeah. getting Deshaun Watson back. It's not going to be easy. And, and if the Colts got luck back, um, they're that right there. Changes, yeah. That changes that. You're right. And the Titans to me, um, you know, they I'd upgraded like to see a coach. Them. I like, I think they did, they did. They added. They got Matt LaFleur from Los Angeles. Like they had a good off season outside they of did. the uniform change. <laughs> I, here's the thing. I think the Jaguars, like what they did on, what they did obviously on defense last year was no joke. Yeah. Um, if they can, if they can kind of continue in the mold of a team. Now it's not easy to do this year after year because Dallas shows you, it's not always easy to do it. Year and year. Denver, Denver. And also the Titans. I'm talking about when you want to like control teams with the, on the ground, the Titans mm-hmm. had this exotic smash now, but then last year they just turned into a boring low production offense. So it's like the Jaguars need to continue to grow on offense. <clears throat> I think they're, you know, Blake Bortles has one more year to try to prove it there. I know everyone likes to kill Blake Bortles, but, there's a lot of real talent in Jacksonville. And I think that Doug Marone, in my opinion, is sort of a sneaky, uh, much better coach than others oh, yeah, I love believe. Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of, like, you talk to other coaches and other front offices, and they, Doug Marone is someone that will continue to work over and over because he, he just, I know he had a rough exit from Buffalo, but a lot of people think this is a good coach. So yeah. I don't know. If, I mean, I think you're kind of, well, you're, maybe what you're saying is like, it's kind of a stock division in Jacksonville. Yep. Maybe if they take a step back, someone else is going to step in in a hurry. But I wouldn't pick them as like a a fluke from last season. That's for sure. All right. Fair enough. Um, sorry, Jaguars <laughs> fans. I still like a lot of your players. And you did a great uniform change. Shout out to the Dolphins and the Jaguars oh, for getting yes, it right. Oh, yes, they did. Tampa Bay yeah, is think... somehow not doing anything. I don't know I why they haven't say, made the... Tampa Bay <laughs> has to be the next team that does that. Cleveland is planning a uniform change, and it's going to, I think, go back to in a good way, very stark, um, spare, kind of industrial uniforms that speak to their past and not what they're wearing right now. And so Tampa like Bay better photo on Twitter. Y- yes, exactly. Exactly. Like, so it's, I think that's, I think that's what we're going to see. I think that's going to be the new trend is like less is more with some of these, you know, uh, bells and whistle uniforms. And I love it. Um, Mark, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you taking the time. We can find you on Twitter at Mark Sessler NFL. We can read you at NFL.com. And we can listen to you on the best NFL podcast, the Around the NFL podcast, every week. Mark, thank you so much. It was really fun. Let's do it again. Thanks. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts, or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Thank you for your support, and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. 
Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.